Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Armchair Philosophers. Today's topic is game environments and atmosphere. And I gave everyone a bit of homework, which I hope everyone here watched. Um, a YouTube channel. Went a went step further and wound up watching a bunch of the other videos on that channel, too. Yeah, wow, and the YouTube channel. <laughs> hey, I mean, I see, I, see, I see a video about Team Fortress 2, and my brain just clicks. I, I can't say. Oh, oh, oh. It's an impulse thing. <laughs> well, for everyone in the comments it wants to know <laughs> what that channel is we're talking about, it's a channel known as Other Places, an amazing channel that goes to a lot of work and effort to display video game environments and atmospheres, what we're talking about here today, in a very clinical way. Very, um, just shows you the amount of work and detail and design uh, developers go through to build these worlds, I would, I would say. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess we'll start off with just video game environments in general and how they differ from movie environments. Like, I know... When you pick up Pac-Man or Mario, the first one, uh, Super Mario, I guess it was called, uh, those worlds aren't really, there's not really much going on. Like Pac-Man, you're eating pellets. Mario, you're getting to the end of the level. It doesn't matter if a Goomba's walking at you at the, this point in time, especially when no one knew what they were. It just mattered that there were enemies on the screen for you to fight. And the difference between a video game like that and a video game like some of the examples we did, which were... Uh, Bioshock, Dark Souls, Yakuza, um, Fallout, and Dis Dishonored, and uh, Alien Isolation, like all those types of games, um, is very, very vast, because somewhere along the line, it stopped being about playing, and it started becoming about experience with video games. Um, and there are definitely games that still value play over the experience, and there are games that value experience over the play. And then there's those ones in the middle. Credit to the world building of a lot of those early games. They did generally have very good music that would like be evocative of what they were trying to get across. In the mm -hmm. And coming off of an episode where we talked about sound and experiences, a video game environment isn't just what you see. It's the music playing in the background and, and the atmosphere um, going on around you when you're playing these games. Um, I don't think anybody could experience Fallout the same way without using the radio. Um, or just listening to the sweeping orchestral music that they have in that game. Or I don't know if you could play uh, Bioshock without the background music giving you chills and like, oh, what's going on? And this mysterious notes are leading me forward in this game. And so I guess I guess my first question is, why do video games do this? Is it the experience? The the action of interacting with them that gives us these worlds as a, in a more solid light than most mediums. Sorry, can I can I just ask a question? When you say sure. solid light, what, what do you mean by that? Like, um, if I watch a movie, the world I experience the world usually from a third or fourth person view, and I get what I get because of where the characters are going. If I play a video game. Uh, I explore the world. I find the details. And one of the games on uh, that I just listed uh, uses that to the fullest extent. Uh, in fact, more than one. But yeah. I think it's interesting for me because I'd actually sort of almost disagree a little in mm -hmm. that I, I think it's interesting that because video games... Okay, think think of movies for a second. 
movies, they are very scripted. Everything can be choreographed to work perfectly together. The visual you're getting, the action on screen, the music, it can all work beat for beat perfectly through the whole thing if it's done properly. Because video games, by contrast, have uh, inconsistency. They have to react to what you as the player are doing. I'd almost argue that their sense of that identity in the world can be a little less strong by contrast. Like if you if you look at I can think of uh simple examples. Skyrim, Lord of the Rings. My sense of the exact identity of the world Lord of the Rings is a lot stronger, but I think that moment to moment, in order to sort of make up for that, I think video games tend to put a lot of effort into sort of drawing you in in a more general way. Like they draw you into the world and not into every exact beat of the plot and characters within it because they have to operate around you as a player having agency. And I think so. I think they're, I, I guess, I'll okay, take back what I said at the beginning. I think they're stronger in some ways, but they're stronger in a different way, if that makes sense. So, word, that was a great rundown. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that. Does anyone disagree or which, like, I find a lot of people say the strongest medium to experience anything in is reading. I find that because when you're you're picturing is your imagination and a lot of people would argue that that's the greatest journey of all when when you really get into a good book uh with the characters um it depends it it depends if you think like um like some people some people think that more right so so when you're just given text right your your imagination is forced to do choice like when a movie comes out they'll be like the book is was better oh for sure i yeah i i know yes (laughs) i mean I, I'd argue that at least part of that is because if you're trying to adapt a book into a movie, you're you're trying to adapt something that was designed to work on a page into a new format, right? Like there are fantastic movies that started as movies. I think that's more of a problem with you're trying to turn a medium that can include inner monologues seamlessly and and like yeah. descriptive uh, asides seamlessly into. A, a different format that that doesn't necessarily work as well in. Well, they're not lying when they say a picture paints a thousand words. A movie is all like the entire, like everything the writer has to describe to you, the movie just shows. That's and true. then it has to okay. fill that space with actual dialogue and character development. It has to be good. Yeah. Though. Well, it's and not I, just the, not just the, not just the quality of the animation and the cinematography. That's the problem. The issue is, um, the issue is one with time. When we're when you're looking at a at a, at a film or even even in a video game, um, I guess, I'd say actually I I would make the argument that video games have more in common with books than films do, mm-hmm. um, because of um, recursion and because of immersion. And I'll start with the recursion part, which is, um, you know, we talked about how a video games can draw you in, right? So a video game atmosphere is all about. And I, I think I agree with Ridge. Ridge made a really really good point here. Um, that you know the the um the, these these are experiences designed to bring you in regardless of the minutia of the choices you make so for example if we looked at bioshock um you know or, or any of those any of the bioshock games or or, or a follow game is an even better example with a, you know sort of a wide open sandboxy kind of game where you can go to to different places and it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you're in the world living in the world uh, then you're you're still being drawn into that in, in general sense, even if you're not following a particular plot line. But the the onus is on the designers of the game levels of the game worlds uh, to not just draw you in, 
um, but allow you as a player to walk back and forth across the same stretch of road and think, oh, I notice something different every time. The same thing with when we read. Yeah. So when we, if you read something, if you're, if you're reading, this is, this is a, something that you can actually trace back to, to, to brain science. I'm not going to go into the brain science of it, but when you sit down and actually physically read a book, um, it's been proven that if, has this, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Sorry, this is I'm getting rambly here, but has this ever happened to any of you when you read a book and you finish a page and you think to yourself, wait a minute, no, I don't get that. I'm going to to reread the page again. Has that ever yeah. happened to any of you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. 100%. It's very common. Um, and it's it's part of what's called we call deep reading, which is when you're reading a book, your if you sometimes your brain doesn't hasn't really put everything together in the way that you're you haven't really made sense of it all yet, and that's because you're you're still working together. Okay, well this person's doing this over here, and you know this this is sort of happening in this corner. Uh, well, I can't really picture that yet. Well, hold on, I need to reread and, and sort of absorb the details again. You can do that in a video game too. You can stop and be like. You can save the game. You can pause the game. You can go back into the area again if you go to a different save file and think, okay, well, wait a minute. I don't get what was happening here. Maybe I can go replay that cutscene. You can't do that in the film. You guess you can pause it, but usually you're watching a film with someone else and you pause it with when you're watching it. You know, it's kind of a dick move. Um, the it's it's just different. Most people don't pause and rewatch the same scene over and over again, but you will in a video game. You're more likely to do something like that in a game than you are in a in a, in a film. That's actually a really interesting thought because it sort of goes against what I, the whole argument I was building in my brain was about agency. So sort of about mm -hmm. uh, bringing you into the world as it happened versus the world that you can do things in. But then I absolutely agree with everything you just said and books, you don't have particular agency and how the plot plays out. So, I mean, I, <laughs> there, there goes that general paradigm. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's good to establish why a medium is different before we talk about the approach to like uh, the game environments and the atmosphere these kind of worlds are trying to present to us. Um, and with that, I think I'll start. Like I had everyone here, by the way, and I will link the channel. You can find all of these videos in in the description. But I had everyone here watch a few videos and. Um, because we're not going to talk about every single video game that has a decent or interesting environment or atmosphere because you'll be here all day. So yeah, we picked a few. The day after and the day after that. And I don't know if you like it and you want us to revisit uh, different games, uh, you know what to do. Like, comment, subscribe. So Bioshock, the first one, the, the most important one, the only one. Um, obviously, uh, I am a fan of Bioshock. Um, and... I think for this game environment, it's hard to describe how much I love it. So Bioshock, for anyone who doesn't know, is a game set in a city underwater. And that city, horrible things have happened to it. And you're kind of trying to figure out why you're there and what's, what's going on. And a lot of problems come to game developers when they set something underwater. And I think... At least the developers behind Bioshock achieved the perfect feeling of being underwater. When you're ever why, you're walking. Um, um, I was going to ask why why they struggle so much with that. Uh, because of the physics of water itself and you moving through it. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Actually, it's really interesting. There's one of my first thoughts about that when we were, when I was watching the video was that like on on some level deep in my soul. It bugs me how much water is pouring in through broken windows and stuff, yet this place isn't full of water. Uh, like, there's some practical part of my brain that goes, 
This place looks like it's been broken for a while, and that's a pretty steady rate of water flowing in. But everything else about the design for Rapture just wipes that out of my brain enough that I don't care. I think that's that's the the best praise I can give for it is just that like there's a really obvious physics problem that my brain is like ah, but the rest of the brain doesn't care at all because it's excellently executed. It has been like that for under a year um, because it uh, like it it just did that on New Year's and then you land there like who knows how many days after that. Oh, this is this is where we need Kim for the fluid dynamics calculation. She could tell us how how screwed they'd be, how, how high the water should be. We know it happened. Uh, everything happened on New Year's because of the signs and everything when you enter Rapture. Yeah, that's true. Well, getting uh, getting that one to ignore physics is a, is quite a feat. So I yeah. mean, that's that, that's definitely high praise for world building. So when you walk through the tubes of Rapture, because every because when you view Rapture, it's a giant city underwater. It looks like Manhattan, New York, or like New York, the like skyline almost, but just underwater. Because the whole visual style is very 50s uh, with a tinge of what people would call biopunk and uh, retrofuturism, um, which we will be talking about next episode. Shameless plug. And so you go in and you go in this you go to a lighthouse and you make your way down and you see all these propaganda instantly for this man named andrew ryan not propaganda it's truth <laughs> and well yes of course it makes if he makes a very good argument to anybody uh, does he though well you know like apparently yeah. enough to create a giant city underwater full of people so he you go down there and instantly you're greeted to like like the level design just for everyone here is like uh, not it's open world ish you're given a set level map and to, then to get from map to map you take like a sort of sphere um watership um and when, and in those maps there's rooms uh, that represent the buildings themselves and then there's like connections between those rooms which are like the tubes that are built for the city so you can walk through water because obviously you can't have cars down here you have these kind of submarines instead and tubes for people to walk and when you walk through these tubes the light is very grim muddy and murky because it's you're down in the depths so you get very little light um everything there's fish swimming by there's whales swimming by and like and when you get into a room it's like very 50s it's all destroyed you're kind of like always like what happened here sometimes it's creepy because the characters in this environment have done things and you're like oh this person decorated a wall with someone's corpse and all of this comes together to form a very cramped isolated fear-based environment and atmosphere especially with the, the the music of bioshock like it's very creepy it's unsettling and it's mysterious. I remember seeing all the two, like when that first came out and just watching the trailer for it and seeing the design of that sort of almost like a night skyline, but underwater. Mm -hmm. And especially the tubes everywhere. I, this is like a, a completely irrelevant aside. So I guess we can edit it out if we decide to. But uh, I, I guess growing up, like in downtown Toronto, there's one or two places where there are sort of little tubular overpasses across across the road, like the one at the bottom of the Eaton Center, and I'm sure there's another one around yeah, there. Yeah, like, that's the one, I, that's literally the and, same thing I was just about and, to mention. And, and like five-year-old me was like, why are these not connecting all of the towers everywhere? This, this, just, come <laughs> on. 
like I, I want to be able to walk from the 25th floor to the 25th floor of a couple business towers I'm probably not even going to be able to actually get into. And then yeah. seeing this in Rapture, I'm like, ah, oh, that's that's my jam. Yeah, Rapture is a very well-built world. There are cities, like, I mean, sorry, buildings that upon buildings. And you actually see them when you're walking around and you look outside of any window in Rapture. And then on top of that, you know something horrible is going on because some areas are leaking water. Some areas are uh, falling in on themselves. You look closely and you see that all of the infrastructure has actually been made out of deeply compressed copies of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> and then, um, of course, you have the recordings, right? yeah. which is just such a hallmark of the um, of the game. Yeah, it's hard to ignore that if you follow the quest, you can move along. But if you explore you'll be rewarded through audio logs. And these audio logs are like random characters, not relevant to your, usually not, sometimes yes, but not relevant to what you're going through for the most part. Most of the characters at first sound like, who is this? Why are they like, but then you slowly pick up that it's like each individual story and what happened and you're piecing together what happened to the city through their audio logs. And so it's the first game. I don't want to say like the first game that did that because I can think of some much older games that, broadly speaking, did sort of a pick up logs as as exploration reward thing. But like, I might just be showing my comparatively young age to some potential listeners. But is it just me, or is that one of the games I first remember having that as like a big feature? Like, yeah, I think it's a, one of the pioneers. I really do. Yeah, it, at least for the modern implementation of it. It yeah. was the first game where the audio logs could be unrelated to the quest you're on i think i don't know maybe i'm probably wrong and i'm gonna get called out but i'm just gonna say it definitely made them uh appear in the level in such a unique and interesting way and you and it almost made you want to find them uh and all of this kind of all of this design choices and details and like how you walk into a room and you can see like post propaganda posters like who is atlas on the wall and like security checkpoints and all this kind of stuff indicating to you the story of what happened where you are now and parts of it you're like man it would have been cool to live down here yeah <laughs> and then you meant the and then you meet the people running the place and you're like N you know what never mind what was his name yeah. andrew ryan andrew ryan mm-hmm the I, I know it's not it's not rapture, but the um, and it's totally totally different landscape at the risk of going off topic just for a second here. But they do the same thing. If anyone here has played Bioshock Infinite, the sort of the third game, they do the same thing with the the city of Columbia. They they they, they, they sort of a repeat of that same. Um, I, I don't think it quite captures the same magic as Rapture does, but it does it it does a um I would argue it does an even better job of lulling you into a false sense of security because even even Rapture. Uh, I remember when I first played the first Bioshock game, um, Rapture, even immediately, I was like, oh, a sea underwater seems cool. And then you see Rapture and you, you experience it and you, you, you know, you're going in and out of the buildings. You think, oh, this is really cool. But even, even instantly, you get the sense that something is, is really wrong. Whereas if, if you've played, uh, if you've played through the, the Bioshock Infinite game, even when you go up to the, the city of Columbia for the first time, it's sort of a floating city in the clouds. It's sort of almost antithesis. Um, to rapture um yeah yeah it, they did the opposite they did the opposite and um and you feel even more uh at home in colombia i would argue in the first 10 minutes of the game before stuff starts to really happen and you're like oh because there's more people there's actually people around and you sort of it's a bit more alive yeah but because anyway. 
they did the opposite. It was an interesting choice. It was a really interesting choice. And um, oh. yeah, that was a that was a, a good strategy that they used to to make it like instead of creepy, welcoming, right? Yeah. Because then then you have a completely different kind of intro and a different kind of uh, way to play and a, a different uh, sense of immersion as well. Well, I think that's mm-hmm. sort of, it's, it's very important to the theme of both of those games, though, right? That, yeah. that there's like, this is, this is someone's vision of an idyllic world, and here are the dark sides, which we're not going to throw at you right off the bat. It's not, uh, you know, this isn't an intro, intro cutscene, you know exactly what went horrifically wrong. Like, you're working out what went wrong and where, where everything went from beautiful, flawless vision to, actually, in retrospect, maybe that was inevitable. And yeah. both of them do that really well for very different visions. If you're, yes. you know, a, a big Tesla shareholder, you got Bioshock. If you're a megachurch southerner, you've got uh, Infinite. Like they're they're different ideals, but they're I love it. Yeah, the approach is very similar, but also very different. And I'll explain yeah. it this way: when you go um, into Rapture. It's unwelcoming. It's unsettling. It's it's destroyed. It's cramped. It's claustrophobic. Almost you feel you feel pressure around you at all times because of you're instantly greeted by a villain in Rapture, like an unwelcoming entity, mm-hmm. and um, like you're the the it really does feel like you're underwater because of all this pressure and anxiety you're going through like on top it's just amazing how they accomplished that but that feeds in perfectly to the thematics of that idyllic situation because you're under pressure you are being forced to perform and challenged so that you can show off what you as an individual can do it's it's it immediately immerses you into what is essentially the ideal that people who like that ideal envision themselves in a world where they're challenged, but they can do that challenge. They are up to it and can personally take it on and achieve great results on their own. And you can, partially because you're a video game protagonist who's incredibly skilled at violence. But, you know, it's just... Uh... And I wanted to go and compare it to Infinite. Um, so when you go into Columbia, it's open air. It's free. It feels calm. Everyone's happy. And you're still... Like the same as you do with raptures, still look at this and go, because you know there's a problem. You go, where's the problem? What's going on here that needs to be fixed? And then you really quickly figure out that all that niceness and loveliness and shown around is like a mask. <laughs> and you kind of do the opposite in rapture, where you slowly figure out that all the ugliness and stuff, there is some beauty in rapture, like good people. Uh, and there are obviously some bad people you find along the way as well in both. And I think Bioshock as a series relies heavily on picking like that kind of outlandish environment, the kind of like city underwater, city in the sky, and going, how do how does this happen? And luckily, there's very many retrofuturistic resources on what people would think it works, and that's how they approach these situations. They used their setting, like Columbia set in like the 19 Jules Verne, uh, I don't know the exact date, but like. 1800s Jules Verne Victorian steampunk setting, and if anybody's seen The Rocketeer or um, maybe Aviator, that's kind of what you're in. What not Aviator, I guess, but like the kind of feeling you're in for. I've always felt there's a bit of a missed opportunity not to do uh, a third, or I guess because what we have the other one, there's Bioshock Two, a fourth, a, a third like setting essentially, 
that does the same thing with the more uh, like modern neoliberal ideology and shows off the like you could have a, an aesthetic that's very um, you know the the photo of the like rainbow capitalism anti homeless rock where it's like we painted it in a rainbow for pride but it's to make sure that homeless people can't like shelter from the rain and you're speaking my language is that would be <laughs> yeah you could make a beautiful like aesthetic of like a you know the futuristic the city of the future where homelessness has been eradicated because we keep shoving it back under rocks and do the well, exact same thing with it and i i always thought they missed out on an opportunity to do something neat with that i, can, I completely agree i think i think that another game and a more modern like having that modernized uh neoliberal ideology at the, the as a backbone um, would be awesome, but I also don't want us to be lulled into a sense of um, that what Bioshock already has isn't still relevant. Like it, it is still relevant even as a as a Ayn Rand philosophy, right? Because it still is able to bleed in. It, we're still able to look at utopia. We're still able to look at you know uh, corporate union culture, etc. Um, which I think is just great. Just like uh, Columbia is based in Victorian uh, Jules Verne kind of settings. Um, Bioshock is based heavily in a Walt Disney um, diesel punk, biopunk, horrible dystopia. Um, and I, the the, uh, the ideologies that are being criticized in both games, because that's pretty much what the games are built around. They're built around an outlandish idea along with an outlandish ideology, and they criticize it. And that's not um, an accident. That they're outlandish locations with outlandish ideas. That's the point. Um, they're far-fetched, far-flung, insane. And at first you're like, oh man, this would be cool. And then it teaches you um, that it's not. <laughs> I, would, um, I would actually push back just a little bit here. I agree, but I'd also say that I think the ideologies aren't outlandish. They're mainstream, but then pushed into a radical uh, uh, area. So, so the, the actual philosophies that they espouse are not like strange and they're they're not like they're they're widespread right but then they they take them to such a degree and they say let's corrupt this like let, let's show what happens when we see this in the extreme and then it looks like it becomes something else but really i think that it still has that same backbone oh yeah for sure i mean i mean you go on twitter these days and you will like <laughs> it isn't what was there like literally elon musk yeah. with quoting the the no gods no king like it's outlandish in a sense but um i would yeah, call it yeah. realistic I, uh, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't want to take away your point. I'm just, I, I just want to push a little bit on that to, to make clear, it clear. I want to be clear. I mean, like, I believe that's what Ken Levine was trying to show that these outlandish locations are as outlandish as these because that might be his opinion, right? Yeah, and we got to remember this game back came out back in like 2007 before things got to quite the fever pitch they're at these days. Before subtlety couldn't exist. I mean, yeah. I think I think it's very telling, and I think uh, I'm going to just engage with what, what was just said before. The idea that that the uh, the the ideas being being mundane and being being uh, sort of a, a mundane version, sorry, a uh, a a more stylized artistic view of these mundane beliefs. The one the first thing in and again, I'm thinking of Infinite, just not because I don't think those these moments exist in the original Bioshock game, but just because Infinite it strikes my mind a little bit more. One, this one moment, the first moment you realize something's really messed up with with Columbia, is when um, you, they they you're walking through the you know it's like the, the, the sort of party, it's like you know it's, it's all nice, 
And then they 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 burn a black man alive. You, you're you're killing black people, and you're like, oh my god, like these are horrible racist. Like there's this is what's happening. It's like this. You're essentially part of a lynch mob. That's and that's the sort of moment you realize you can turn on the the people and be like, oh, this is horrible. And then everyone turns on you, right? Like that's and you it's 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 this kind of inv- invisible um, thing that you don't really realize is going on until you actually are confronted with it, and you're like, oh my god, this is horrible. Well, I want to expand on that too, because like you, you kind of, it tells both sides in that too. Like you, you see that or you throw the apple at that guy's wife, uh, that guy and his wife and, or you don't. And they chast you have to fight them for it. Or I can't remember exactly what happens. Yeah. You you can basically choose, you can choose to, to, do you either make the right, like the morally right choice don't throw throw it at the, the person in the enclosure or and then ever the crowd turns on you or you yeah. do that and they cheer at you that's basically yeah. your choice right there at that moment so you swing you go if you don't like that obviously i don't know who plays this game but you swing and you go to the the side that's against that and then almost yeah. immediately you're greeted with them killing babies and like <laughs> killing innocent people and like being bloody and violent and yeah. it's like, oh my god, <laughs> like, whoa, I, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, because and it's very the, interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, in I'm, I'm remembering, I'm remembering more about this as we talk about it. So the, there's the, um, again, it's been forever since I played the original Bioshock I, game, so my I'm experience is more popular. infinite. Yeah, the, there's the founders who are like the racist sort of theocracy who are very, as 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 was already said, like sort of the deep Christian, um, very very problematic. Um, very, you know, xenophobic, uh, very white, um, and then you have the walk popular, who, as we said, um, are the the oppressed underclass who then come in and don't don't do peaceful revolution. They do, we're going to burn all their houses down, kill all their children, and you're like, oh my god, there is no right answer here because the game doesn't present a, you know, it's it's, it's very black and white. Yeah, the walk um, popular literally say they want an ethnic cleansing. How uh, yeah. how comfortable are we for the show? getting into spoilers by the end of that game because i think there's not, some not really this, this one okay just so i was gonna say there's the atmosphere overall there's some interesting stuff to be said about uh there's some interesting stuff to be said about how the atmosphere informs the themes if we got into that but mm-hmm. i'll i'll leave that yeah. like the sort of the inevitability of the way that world is yeah and i think that's i think i could talk forever about bioshock i love bioshock i, think, I, love I it. think it's a strong probably in my opinion, and obviously you might disagree, the strongest showing for what a world what world building is, how many facets there are to it, what there is about the game itself. Because I would say Bioshock live in, lives and dies on its world building and its story. Uh, it's if, if you take the gameplay apart from the first Bioshock, it's a mediocre shooter with some neat little tricks thrown in. But you're telling <laughs> Some people might enjoy that, and I did. But I, I definitely without everything else, wouldn't have put it on the top of my all-time game list. Yeah, when it comes to games that exist just on the Revolution stuff, there's difference. But um, I think it's actually interesting, speaking of like world-building, we were talking earlier about or the original Bioshock, about how the sort of audio logs and stuff work. I think it's interesting, because another game that came out a couple years after that, and was widely praised for the way that it did its world-building via audio logs you stumble upon, and it's not on our list today, so I can safely mention it in the side here, uh, is Portal 2. Yeah. Which, you know, mm. the game thrives on on the second half before you start with Dave Johnson being Johnson. And wow. that's something that I think 
it, it's interesting because you're talking about how this how Bioshock was sort of pioneered making that really as well as it did. And mm-hmm. I wonder how much of how much that influenced what we guys obviously something really go at. I can any, guarantee if any of the devs are listening to this. <laughs> put a message in the comments, but I can guarantee Bioshock inspired a lot of modern uh, video game developers because uh, you see its influences in a lot of games. Some I have yeah. listed here. Um, but let's move on to one that does world building differently. Dark Souls. Boom. So each Dark Souls is a very different environment and atmosphere they're building. Um, has anyone here played any of the Dark Souls? Oh, I played Bloodborne, but I did not like playing any of the Dark Souls games. Okay. I have watched my friends play Dark Souls, but I haven't really played it myself. So I just know it's like dark medieval fantasy, right? I played like the first five minutes of Dark Souls 2 before the PC version basically just gave up on me because it is definitely made for consoles. Yeah. So the world in Dark Souls is uh, framed as hopeless. In each game, even the third one, where they say the, there's this is the end to the story, there's a way out. Um, the world is always like, there's no point. You walk in, the gods are dead. The better days are behind you. It's very similar to Bioshock, in theory. Uh, this place used to be great, now it's awful. Um, like America. And you look... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, that just made me laugh. Um, you look around in each Dark Souls, and you kind of see decay. Like, every place you walk into is like, kind of like, Wow, this must have been great. <laughs> but here is it now in front of me. It's got a very uh, post-fall of the Roman Empire, and we're, you know, scrabbling in the filth, desperately not acknowledging El Andalus kind of vibe to it. Hey, yeah. did I miss the prequel game? Where's the prequel game? I, I want the other one. I want the, the one pre- where it's not crumbling. <laughs> the, prequel game is, the prequel game is the architecture. You have to take it from there. Yeah. Not only that, but you feel late. Like, you'll walk in and you'll find bosses... And you'll find like that they're like just attacking you and then you'll fight them and then you'll get their soul and you'll get a tiny bit of lore that's like this person was once a good person. And you'll kind of find that that's how they present this kind of world to you, this world building and environment Uh like you have to find the lore. They don't tell you it. And even when you find literally all of the lore, it's very up to interpretation in certain areas what's happened. To this world, like the vibe of like you walk in and all the statues are humans melted together and angels crying and it's very like where's that that gift from Community of Troy walking into the room and everything's on fire and it's all like oh yeah and he has a pizza yeah <laughs> pizza in the entire room is the, just the, the Norwegian troll that's great yeah. it's a great it's a great scene it always gets me every time how how do people like when they watched the video of Lothric Castle in Dark Souls three what did you go I guess it's so I I haven't keeping in mind again I've played a grand total of like five minutes any of the Dark Soul games actually played but I've I've watched some videos of them and stuff so I'm not entirely out of my depth talking about it it's interesting that I think um what hit me about a lot of it was I mean obviously the architecture of a lot of the castles and like the massive flying ramparts and cathedrals you see and how it conveys a bit of a sense of this was clearly a place of immense opulence at some point and that resonates with the themes that i'm aware of for a lot of the games of sort of the 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 very like the the over the the fallen empire that fell due to its own rampant hedonism kind of thing um which not necessarily a one-to-one like again i'm i'm 
have not actually played it, so please tell me if I'm horribly wrong about that as a theme kind of thing. That's the vibe I'm getting. Very Fall of the Eldar kind of thing. It depends on which game. Because in the first one, uh, it, it tells you the end is inevitable. Uh, mm-hmm. There are ages, and you just missed the Golden Age, and now comes the Dark Age. And you're at the tail end of it. Very medieval in, this, in the very soul of this game is medieval uh, fantasy because of that that kind of dark depressing sadness i definitely get that vibe of the cyclicality of the like <laughs> those sort of the the thought was you know if they if, if they spent this much effort on building like literally a bridge on top of another bridge that doesn't need to be there i'm gonna willing to bet that some public infrastructure works went underfunded yeah. so uh in, inevitability of a dark age yeah that, that tracks you know that 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 settles immediately into my brain uh, from the the world we're introduced to. It's not hedonism. It's just every time this happens, the main creatures that are ruling the Golden Age fight against it. They fight despite the inevitability, so they'll come up with solutions to extend the Golden Age. And like in the first game, it very much implies this state of extension, of never-ending, you can't die-ness, is worse <laughs> than what like well you don't know that's kind of the big implications of dark souls is you don't it's like do you want to do something you don't know like a change do you want the world to change that's you don't know what that's like that could be bad spooky so so but would you rather it stay the same would you rather everyone walk around undead attacking every everybody with a hint of a soul inside of them like i think that's an interesting question to propose because it has the sort of hidden presupposition of would you rather things change, or would you rather everything stay the same and specifically stay bad? That's like where where our our point of stasis is very specifically a negative one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's very interesting how they kind of build these sad melon like certain points are melancholy. Like you find goodness in the world, you find people you like. Solaire famously uh, from the first game, praise the sun and whatnot. You find that uh, like. Not everything is awful yet, but you do also find that everything will be awful because you'll find characters uh, that are good and then you'll follow their storyline and they'll end up bad. And Jeremy, I know you've played Bloodborne and some of this may sound familiar because a lot of that those themes are very similar. Uh, yeah. For all their games. The the And so the, I think that one of the things that I struck me when I, when I was watching the, the Dark Souls uh, video and something that's that's very true for as well was was not not a sense of not a sense of they brought it on themselves and more of a sense of just loss where it's uh where it was was a oh look at this look at what what could have been once look at what's what not sorry not what could have been look at once look at what once was and look at what it's become mm-hmm. right it's not like bioshock where it's it's where the idea itself is 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 there's something messed up with the idea of the foundation it used to be just genuinely great on its own merits, and it's fallen into some and been twisted and become something something really really nasty. Um, and again, I've never played I haven't played any Dark Souls, but from what I saw of the clip and what I know about about Yarnum from playing Bloodborne, you know, it used to be this great center of learning. There was this sort of uh, there was a sense that this was a, a cradle of opportunity, and and it, as as was mentioned before, a golden age. And it makes it all the more tragic now that you're now exploring this place where 
you think, oh, well, I've, I grew up, I, I've, I've been, I'm in the wrong century. It's also interesting that when you in Dark Souls find like people in power and you read their histories, not all, like some of them are like the darkness corrupted them and they're not never the same. And like it's called the hollowing um, in the Dark Souls universe. And they're just hollowed out and they basically, yeah, basically because the age of fire or the golden age is dwindling and it can't, like for some reason, people can't keep their souls together. And maybe because it's the age of fire that's hollowing out what it is burning is typically what fired i wonder if that's 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 got to be intentional right thematically speaking yeah it is actually like uh, their fire is a very prevalent theme in fact in the first game your whole thing is relighting the fire or extinguishing it those are your choices uh and the fire is in physical place it's called uh the I can't exactly remember, but it's basically those little shrines that are your save points in those games are like v- mini versions of this greater fire. Yeah, the bonfires. They're mini versions of this greater fire that the previous god of lightning sacrificed himself to to burn to physically keep the age of fire going because everything else in there in this kind of area is ash. It's very much intentional. And then you'll, of course, meet the people in power. Who are like abusing their power to f- trying to find a either a way to cure this kind of end that's inevitable, or just because the end is is inevitable, they're like, why not become evil? Because that's who I truly was. <laughs> and so you'll kind of find that. <laughs> it's really interesting to me that I think so. I think there's like a, a narrative that a lot of the world has of this you know the the fallen empire that like did great works and there was a golden age and now it's sort of gone and people are having trouble figuring out how to move on that i mean i think we can for the most part trace that back to rome right like that was a pretty pan-european experience and i think it's interesting to me because i wonder to what degree uh the future will have the potential to have storylines like this worlds like this that take a little bit more influence from uh, the British Empire. Because I think to some degree, some of them already do. I think you get more of those stories about not just things falling apart or disappearing the way the Roman Empire did really almost overnight in a lot of the world, but turning to the the evils that desperately seek to hold their section of it together a little longer so they can keep profiting from it, which it's an interesting narrative because it's got the it started as good and now maybe we're at the end and there's the dregs and the evil parts are showing. But I think as, or I wonder, as people come to grasp more of, you know, the horrors that the British Empire inflicted on the world and the larger scape of how we've been taught about, we all get taught about how, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire during the day. And there's all those lines about educating the the world and all that. But like, as we sort of come to recognize how awful it sort of was the whole way through, I wonder how that'll shape narratives like this one. And as a result, the worlds that they build, mm-hmm. like, I wonder how much that sort of idea that there was something inherently wrong the whole time uh, might creep into that world building. Like by contrast, when you look at, you know, when we were looking at rapture and you can sort of tell that something was off the whole time. And by contrast, we're looking at this one where, there really is that idea that there was a there was a great age here once that this was not this is not a place that was inherently bad in the past and maybe it's been corrupted over time and lost but that there was something once great here. 
I wonder as the more recent dominant dead empire becomes this one that we're doing more analysis on, that will fade into more stories like the one of Rapture, by contrast to Dark Souls. Yeah. I I love how Dark Souls builds its world, because Rapture builds its world very much for the purpose of you exploring and figuring it out. But Dark Souls builds its world for like you're never going to know the full story. The world is sad. It's awful, but you're still fighting anyway. You're still struggling against this. And in fact, every character is. Every character is along for the ride and that the inevitable awfulness. And that might not be awful. <laughs> you don't know, but you're still there fighting it. It's very interesting. So, Brandon, you brought up a good point there that I want to actually just really quickly uh, chime in on. The idea that you don't need to know all the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is something very, uh, very interesting about that, very, very invigorating about the idea that the game is so far gone from holding your hand that it actually accepts once you, you have to actually cut, sort of come to grips with the fact that you are not going to learn everything, which I think is a really, really good shorthand. Maybe it's a, you might you might think it's a little lazy. Some people think it is. Um, but I think it's a really good shorthand for world building in the sense that, you know, you're always going to get those completionist players who try to get 100% of everything, which I don't never, I could, I could never do. I don't understand that impulse, but there are people who do that. But the idea that there's, you know, you're never going to get the full story is a really, really great way to show uh, a player that, you know, this is a much larger world. This is a much deeper world. This is a much older world. And you, you barely scratch the surface of something that's much, uh, much more profound and maybe a little bit. You're a, you're a historian of this world. Yeah, but but I think I think you're you're a historian. But more to the point, you're destined. You're kind of doomed to fail because yeah. the, the game will never explore the full scope of the history that and of the world you're living in. Which is, yeah. I think that that's a point that gets lost in a lot of people. Um, because a lot of people think, oh, well, I live in this world, and so you, you, we kind of make easy assumptions about the, the places we live in, whether that's real or imagined. But in, in a game that very explicitly is out to tell you, by the way, you have no clue. No yeah. idea. Not, to, not to mention, it's something that I feel like people are people get sucked into a lot these days, the idea of having access to so much information that you can make judgments about things comfortably, by contrast to older historical eras where... You can't. You, you you don't you don't really necessarily know enough about who this person was and why they did what they did to judge where they got to in the same way that you do a celebrity who you have a twenty four seven access to all the information about everything they've ever done, right? Yeah. It like to go to Ridgic's example, what do we really know about the Roman Empire, let alone the people there? And quite a lot. But, but I mean like <laughs> that's that's, like, that's actually sort of where ha- things pick up uh, as, as recorded <laughs> history in the west goes but i mean like how many gaps are there it's okay it's a big place so there's gaps by necessity but right like there are yeah. gaps in a lot of ancient history or even more recent history like yeah. intentional and otherwise and that's kind of this game it's building its world very much like actual history i'd like to I really like that approach. I want to jump on this idea of um, like the that some some parts a lot of a lot of parts aren't complete, and then that puts some agency onto the 
the the player, right, uh, or the audience to to construct things. And I think this is where, like, this is really my jam. So this is really what I believe in when it comes to imagination. When it comes to like the unknown is the place of wonder. So it, you know, when you find yourself saying, "Oh, I wonder if," like that's where imagination often comes from. But we can't have wonder if we don't have unknown. So a good game, I think, facilitates that, right? As opposed to giving you everything or as opposed to giving you nothing. It has to give you just enough. And then when you say, oh, but what if? Or like, oh, but I'm not quite sure. And then that's when you find the logs. That's when you find the books. That's when you, you know, that person says that mysterious thing and there is no, maybe there's no answer or maybe you have a choice or something. And that's when you can kind of get to do a little bit more of that work. And when a game and developer is able to, uh, trust that player and and endow them with some of that power or some of that smarts. That's when you get these really really great great games. Like so, we were talking about how how Bioshock. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that Bioshock doesn't do for you story wise. Like there's a lot that it doesn't fill in. Right. It just shows you like here like you said, here's a corpse on a wall. And like yeah, there will be a log a lot of the time with that. But like sometimes you'll find a log and it's just someone screaming about something, and then you see you know, two murdered people and you're just like, okay, well, I can kind of put this together in my head. Right. And um, yeah, anyway, I just think that that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Especially it's, it's super important. And though I think there is a differential between a lot of games that take the time to work the events they don't tell you about into the larger themes of the story versus the ones that present them just for the sake of having something incomplete. Cause there's definitely, um, uh, let's take the old paragon of lazy world building and go with Skyrim for a second. Not to rip on the Elder Scrolls in general, but Skyrim itself has some internal inconsistencies where there will be something that's thrown in there that isn't entirely explained. And, you know, um, it's just a thing you run into. And sometimes that makes perfect sense and it really enriches the world it's in. And other times it feels like they needed to add something to make the section of the map hold up. And I think, by contrast, you have stuff like... Um, like what we're talking about here, where a lot of the like when you're when you're thinking of you know the people you find murdered in Rapture after you find a screaming voice recording, it fits with the overall themes you've been given so far. The reason that you can extrapolate what happened here is partially because yes, obviously some people got murdered, but it fits with the larger themes you've been experiencing. The conclusions that you draw from it are informed by the paradigm that you're immersing yourself in you know and i think that's what's really like i don't want to say anyone can add something unexplained to a video game but adding things that are strategically unexplained to increase the depth to which you immerse yourself in that paradigm by making you immerse yourself in it to figure out what happened or to inform your ideas of what might have happened i think that's a a hallmark of really good world building and yeah absolutely yeah Again, I don't, I don't want to uh, deny the fact that there's a laziness here as well, right? That, that like, sometimes this is abused. I see it all the time in, uh, in the arts, right? Where it's like, oh, we'll just do this weird thing and it'll be artsy. And, like, that'll be, you know, bougie. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> like you know, there is, there is an element. Like, you, you can really tell when something is truly, like, good artistic versus, like, just, okay, fake artistic, kind of. Um, that's a whole other, obviously, that's a whole other thing. But, like, you can really feel that in these games. Like, there's a reason why we can spend an hour talking about Bioshock and it feels like five minutes went by, right? Like there's a reason, Um, you know? Yeah. So yeah, like in, I would art, the difference is in Bioshock, I know the overall story of what happened and how everything went down by the end of the game. I know what, what, like the arc of the story is in dark souls. You don't, you get bits and pieces. You get, okay, this happened at this point, um, but you never get the full completed uh, arc. 
Well, but see, I would I would argue. So this is what what Bioshock does so well is that you don't see any of it. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't see a single thing, right? It, so like you 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 put all together all that stuff. Right, exactly, and and you don't get to to play any of that. So because of that, like that, the fact that you just said, "Oh, I know it all," it's like, but you didn't experience any of it, literally. Like that's wild. Yeah, you don't experience even even via audio log. You don't actually experience a lot of it going down. You experience the results, and you yeah. get a lot of the actions that informed what happened. But the actual middle part is very is often left up to the player to work out to imagine. And it uh, it sounds like um, Dark Souls does a similar thing, um, like obviously a different different thing, right? Um, but similar in that sense of like really playing off of the past, right? Which I which I think is just so cool. Like I love that idea of being flung into a world, but not being so lost that then you can't feel at home or figure out what's happening or or you know have a place. So good job, games. Genuinely, mm -hmm. good job. Fallout Three, <laughs> Fallout in general, also does world building, but it is once again a different. Uh, in Fallout, it is very much an open world game. You can go where you want, when you want. In Bioshock, you can't. In Dark Souls, you can, but the enemies will swiftly tell you you can't be there. Because if you're in the wrong place and you're not good enough, you should leave or you will die a million times. In Fallout 3, where you go, it's leveled to you. Everything you find is leveled to you. Um, Fallout 3 specifically uh, takes place in a real world location that's kind of alternate universe oriented uh, as in the lore behind the game involves retro futurism. Again, this time Adam punk mixed with diesel punk, a nuke has gone off. Um, possibly all of America has been destroyed because there's a war between China and America that caused a nuclear apocalypse. And you're now a survivor who hid in one of these underground vaults, similar theming to Bioshock where it's a city under, the ground instead of underwater uh but these vaults are very much not cities they're <laughs> which you quickly find out they're much worse and you kind of uh kind of just explore this kind of new world this alternate universe where the the 50s kind of culture never ended but somehow we overcame everything embedded in that culture and you have technology we don't have here uh, mostly involving nuclear power have to preface any discussion I have about Fallout 3 in particular with uh, the fact that hands down two of my favorite videos of all time on YouTube are entitled respectively Fallout 3 is garbage and here's why and Fallout New Vegas is genius and here's why both mm. of which I recommend watching <laughs> if you have an hour and a half to spare each I think they're very different games actually but that's not, not really a conversation we need to get into right now I think I think it is relevant to talking about the world of them, though. And I know this is something that uh, we might disagree on, but really well. for me, at least, a large component, and you might have been able to take this from what I've said so far, a large component of whether or not a world works for me is how it serves the themes that it that the game is trying to play with. Uh, how it interacts. It doesn't even have to serve them. It can interact with them, contrast them, and... For me, there's a huge disconnect for Fallout 3 between a lot of the themes it tries to present versus a lot of the feel of the world you're in, uh, especially by explicit contrast to New Vegas, which I think does that a lot better. So you you have this, you've mentioned just a few ideas now uh, several times, uh, talking about the theme of a narrative, and you said the feel of the world. Now, for me, and I, I, I'm 
trying to get us back onto this this topic of sort of the atmosphere of this. One of the, my bigger bigger gripes with Fallout, um, the Fallout series specifically, Fallout Three onwards, and I've played a few of them, not not extensively, but I've played them all a fair bit. Um, to me, was the, the the color or lack the lack of color. Um, you know, I, and even now, like I can think back to Fallout and think, oh, it's green. It's all just this washed out green brown color. And you know, the there's this idea of actually, I love retrofuturism. I love the idea of it. I love the way it's pulled off. I love the um, I love some of the ideas in in Fallout. I love how sort of ruthless it can be, but also how maintain a sense of humor, um, even though it's super super dark. Um, and a lot of that's told through the atmospheres you you pass through um, in both Fallout Three and in in New Vegas. Um, I'm more so the funnier side, more so New Vegas. But but for me, I. I think of Fallout Three, the atmosphere of Fallout Three, just the the way that you when you actually go and have that world, and it's this might just be a personal opinion. The actually the atmosphere takes me makes it less enjoyable for me. It's an, it's immersion. I feel immersed in it for sure. It's successful at, at immersing me in it, but I don't want to be there because I go there and I'm like, oh, this is right. Like oh, I can I can totally see myself being in the situation. I'm not you know maybe not all the details exactly as the game presents it, but. Oh, you know, if it really was an irradiated nuclear wasteland of Washington D.C., then this yep. is what it's going to look like, and that sucks. I don't want to be here. Yeah, no, it's not like you know, it's not like Rapture, or it's not. I keep coming back to, to Bioshock, where there's there's no sense of wonder. Even with Dark Souls, right? It's not you know you know I'm not I'm not imagining. You know, there's nothing to imagine. It's just oh, this is what it would look like if there was a nuclear hit strike hit and there were mutants everywhere. Cool. I don't want to live here. I think that's why I feel the way I do about it is because it feels like that. It feels just sort of awful and dreary. But in Fallout 3, at least, there's a lot of people who you characters you run into are very invested in returning to the way things were or building what they can out of this who want it to stay exactly the same. Like, there's any any concept of a bright future or a brighter past or basically anything that's presented is equally tinged with shitty brown and by contrast i think that uh one of the reasons i like new vegas is that new vegas in its uh in its plot and in a way that a lot of the characters work tends to acknowledge that a bit more um like the part of the conceit of the whole conflict in new vegas is that neither of these sides is really good like one is adapted to this terrible new world that you find yourself in and the other one explicitly wants to go back to the same horribleness that resulted in it which from what we know of americana is honestly not that different from how it wound up post-apocalyptically like it it and there are exceptions you'll find you know little villages that are trying their best to rebuild and redo things and they tend to have a little more life to them but i think the broad strokes picture of the main plot of each we can just just narrow it down to the main plot uh so the the new california republic versus caesar's legion in, in new vegas and the whole nonsense I think the fact that all of the factions involved in three, they, they they also mostly want to either go back to you know the world as it was in equally terrible or adapt to the wasteland, but they don't. The, the narrative doesn't paint that. Hey, <laughs> that's bad. This this whole whole thing is dreary and awful. And man, isn't it dreary and awful? Because that's important. That plays into whether or like you have to make decisions about who you think is in the right or if any of them are in the right. And 
Fallout 3 sort of paints a picture where it is good and right that you and the giant robot march around at the end and blow stuff up and the whole Shazam happens. Um, <laughs> we're, we're moving for, fewer, f- forward to a future that is also dull and dreary and, and brown. Uh, and that, that, that messes up its resonance for me. Like that, that feels heavily dissonant in terms of uh, the reality that it is trying to project with its themes versus the one that you're experiencing because they built it into the game. Right. I'm going to come in with a defense of Fallout 3 then. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up for now. <laughs> so, and I'm going to be strictly talking about the game's atmosphere and environment and what I experience when I play Fallout 3. I'm not going to be talking about the quality of the writing um, around that. And... Entirely fair. That's fair. Actually, I should, before, before, I, before you start over, I should clarify to finish my whole screed. I do tend to get overly invested in the thematics of a thing, and I want to point out that if you just want to play a game where you want to explore and you want to get immersed in this environment and explore and be in that gritty brown post-apocalyptic wasteland, there's nothing wrong with Fallout 3. It does that very, very well. In the same way that if you want to traipse around a generic fantasy world, Skyrim does that excellently, regardless of whatever issues I might take with its main plot. Um, so I, I want to very specifically note that I'm talking about, uh, to me, it doesn't resonate because of its relation to uh, to the way the main plot plays out. And mm-hmm. yeah, I sorry, would back, back to you, in, in my defense before you. Uh, yeah. I would say the characters are very important to world building in, in general. Uh, but I'm going to be talking as if you're alone in this world. And so when you go into the capital wasteland, you're greeted with a familiar somewhat to the North American site, uh, not if you're not from North America, where it's the uh, Washington, D.C. nuked out. And you walk around to these landmarks, and everything's destroyed. You walk in the sewer tunnels, and it's dark and dreary. Everything's sad. Yes, everything's a little green. I, I don't know why they did that. But everything is kind of washed out and done, and like everything good about this world, if there was any, is in the past. And you slowly realize that, like, what you're going through is just never going to be what it was, and it might never be something better than it is now. And you're kind of, like, given a choice. Do I make it better? Do I make it worse? Do I, how, like, what is worse in this world? There's no such thing. Like, and you're, you're kind of, like, constantly looking around at all these various things it sets up for you and, like, exploring and finding these new things that aren't part of the main quest and you're like oh my gosh i have 50 side quests and i'm i've fully experienced what the capital wasteland and the environment and the thing people have been building are trying to commute communicate to me like these interesting characters or these interesting environments are very compelling for me to keep going in this world and that would be what i argue and i i just i don't know i just find like if i play uh, New Vegas, I don't find the Mojave Desert as interesting to explore as a capital wasteland. And I don't find uh, the new one, which is in Boston, I believe, to be that interesting explorer either. <laughs> and it is way more colorful in Fallout 3. It's just, I just find much, myself much more invested when I walk into a random building or a random uh, landmark. And I'm like, what am I going to encounter this time? What's in here? What happened here? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll reiterate just a bit. So 
I agree with with a, a bit of what Ridge said and a bit of what you said here. So I, I think on a technical level, Fallout Three does a really good job of immersing you. Right, that you you're in that capital wasteland. You you get the impression, oh, this is what it would look like if everything got nuked. Um, you know, there is a sense, a strong sense of the exploration does a good job of you know you explore, you find a house, and you're wondering, okay, well. They're going to be. Are there going to be scrappers? Are going to be mutants? Are there going to be? You know, what kind of explosives are going to be here, et cetera, et cetera? And that's all well and good. Like that is, as you said, like as from a tactical level, that's great. I guess this is a personal reflection. Is just, and I think I'll I'll sort of loop back to what we said earlier. The idea of of you know a wonder is the idea that you don't know something, and even if even the unknowns in Fallout Three, at least to me personally, the unknowns I could never imagine a compelling enough reason to fill in any of those unknowns that made me want to keep playing so like for example like just for example for instance you know you find a building and you're you're, you're exploring the building you got your gun out you're ready to go and you think okay well it's going to be uh, brotherhood of steel or it's going to be a mutant or it's going to be uh, some more raiders and i'm thinking none of those three things are interesting to me personally and i was like oh well this isn't like i don't i don't care like uh, on some level the game failed to make me as 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 much as it was a technical success um to, to sort of immerse you into this world and i fully believed i was there but it was successful but it, it was to me it was a, i was almost self-defeating because the fact that I, I i believed in it meant that i was uncomfortable in it and then wanted to leave hmm. i wonder if that i wonder if that sort of speaks at all to um like obviously the most recent fallout uh 76 is it was like an yeah. a complete abject failure, right? And like every, everyone basically hated it even before they started introducing uh, paid pay to win tiers. And it's interesting because part of the premise of it is that you are sort of alone in the wasteland. Like we're we've been talking a little bit for the last little bit about you know putting aside all the character interactions and the stories and everything, and that's what Fallout seventy six does. And it's interesting because I mean clearly they thought it merited doing. And in fairness, it sounds like for some people at least. The idea of just wandering around the wasteland and figuring out what's in each of these things is something that they have shown themselves to be able to do well enough that it can be engaging and and worthwhile. And then I guess for other people, less so. I I, just, I, I don't have a particular theory about this, but I wonder if that has something to do with how why it was received the way it was. And I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on that. Well, both you and uh, Jeremy's opinion is very subjective. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm objectively right, but putting that aside, <laughs> for every one of you, there's one person who was pulled in by the various stories they encountered, and so like to then argue because to then say your opinion's right, and that's why Fallout 76 should be good is not fair. No, it's it's interesting. It's um, I I didn't mean to say that my opinion is right, and that's why I fall. that's the opposite of what I meant to say, if anything. But uh, and and to be completely fair, you know, a lot of people bought Fallout Three. My opinion is very informed by hindsight, especially through the lens of, in my absolutely subjective opinion, uh, New Vegas just doing a lot of things better. Um, like without that point of contrast, I don't think I would dislike Fallout Three as much as I do. Hmm. Um, Fallout Three was made first, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like I, I think a lot of people really liked it when it came out, and I. It's interesting because I've actually seen more people disliking it in retrospect. But I remember when it came out, it was a really big deal, and a lot of people really liked really liked it. Um, okay. So I, I don't want to. I 
I think it's something where it's not that they necessarily did a bad job with it. I think they did a really good job on a lot of parts. And the fact that, uh, at least in my opinion, New Vegas is better has to do with the fact that they could build on top of a lot of work that was already done. Mm -hmm. Like they could, they could rely on a lot of things that worked really well with Fallout 3 and then fill in the parts that didn't work to make it work. Um, which is a, a big boost. It's it's sort of the the you know like don't get me wrong. I love uh, Ocarina of Time, but Majora's Mask stands out as wow. This guy. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna say like I agree that Fallout New Vegas is the better game all around. The only thing I would ever argue is that I was much more interested in exploring the Capital Wasteland than I was the Mojave Desert, and that's all I was. Uh, no, that's absolutely. my that's, that's my subjective affair. That is completely and, fair. And I would say that it's kind of like just like some characters you meet, you're in an open world game, you're just not gonna like. You're just not gonna be invested in the world sometimes. Or you're not gonna something about the game isn't pulling you in as much. And I agree that the this kind of Bethesda approach to world building flanderized a bit with Fallout 4 and furthermore Fallout 76 where it's like no the interesting part for me was the environments and the people in them because uh, that's the world in a like that's what I want I want to be living in this world I don't want to be alone in this world and that would be the difference between Fallout 3 and Fallout 76 it was like the characters in Fallout 3 were compelling to me especially some of the side characters and yeah a game where you are alone uh it inspired off of Bioshock in probably all the right ways alien isolation right there in the title you are the only human uh that you'll ever encounter on the space station sevastopol it's set in the alien universe uh which is based off the alien movies for people at home watch those uh just the first two really uh, you don't need much more than that mm. um if you want to, I like them, but they're they're not great movies. But that's a rant. Anyway, Alien Isolation is a space station um, environment. Everything, once again, claustrophobic in some areas, large in others. You have to crawl through fence. You have to crawl through access ways. Um, it a, has a very 80s style future. So for those that have seen those movies that came out during the 80s of what science fiction worlds would look like, it's got these very technical computers, very blocky shapes. Um, there might be random chains dangling in random rooms that are dripping water. Um, very, very future feeling, but also past feeling because of that. And you feel very trapped and isolated. And even when you meet other humans, they run away. So very interesting world building going on. And they do have tapes. Once again, Bioshock showing. It also is the... Uh... So I did to to give context. I've never played the game or watched any of the movies. To my great regret, I really need to. But uh, oh my gosh, some, somewhat like the Bioshock ones, I was immediately hit by. There's a lot of fire happening in this closed, low oxygen environment. Um, there's also a really creative AI system, I believe. Yeah. Um, which I'm wondering how much that contributes to the atmosphere that we're talking about. Well, it does because the alien hunts you. And get adapts. Um, if you do something too much, the alien will change its behavior. Um, for example, if you use certain distraction toys a lot, or like um, you use fire a lot, the alien will adapt to that and change its behavior based on 
your actions in the game. Terrifying. It's not super advanced, but it is it is really cool to watch happen. Yeah. So, I actually, I actually had a nightmare that I was like in in this game, and I've never played it before. I don't know where this horror. came from. <laughs> but it I, is a it is a horror. The the music is very horrifying. Oh, you, don't even get me started with the music in the in, in the music in Alien Isolation. I think is one of the best parts and simultaneously worst whoa. parts. Um, and of it. Um, again, this is my subjective opinion here, but the the way that the the atmosphere is. It's minimalist in a way that you just don't see in a lot of the other games that we've already mentioned today. Um, and I say minimalist in the sense that Sevastopol is stark, empty, dark. Mm. It's, it's, it's bereft of people, noise. And so it allows the, the score, which is one of the most tense, you know, chills up your spine, nail-biting, just uncomfortable soundscapes we talked about soundscapes last time but it's not really i guess it kind of applies here to sort of envelop you completely and it's one of the most effective choices because you're just in the dark waiting to get hunted down and yeah, it's that was definitely something i got out of the the video that uh that we had uh as our our homework for this one is and it it seemed to at least the track that was playing seemed to suit some of the scenes that were shown better than others because it had this very uh, frantic motion to it, right? The mm-hmm. those tones in the background just driving you up every wall you can see, and in some of the some of the scenes with rapidly blinking lights or moving parts, it fit beautifully. I have to say, like there's a couple maybe worth a slower moving bits where it. It almost put that put you even more at unease because it works so well with the other parts. But that that music was excellent for conveying the environment they were trying to get there. And I want to point out somewhat underrated part of video games, but the sound effects. So the only other time you hear an organic sound effect when you are playing, and I'm not talking about cutscenes, when you are playing, the only other organic sound effects you will hear are your breathing and the alien. Oh, Everything no. else you hear is a robotic or mechanical sound effect, including the enemy robots that you will encounter. Uh, the machines give up beeps. There are no intentionally no human voices besides the cutscenes where you see humans and they run away or get killed by the alien. In a, until of course the very end, but um, like you're for the majority of the game, it's just you and the only other thing alive on the ship, but and alive as in biological is the alien <laughs> and i think that's really like incredible game design to like make that a conscientious choice because you're trying to you're trying to figure out what happened to the station even though you kind of figure out real quick but even then you're like one alien did all this <laughs> and you figure that out real quick too <laughs> yeah the 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 really great thing about alien isolation is again Contrasting it to all the atmospheres we've already discussed, uh, there are you know with with Bioshock you're you're you get the sense of wonder and you you worried about okay well here's all of these uh, you know here's here's this world and here's this vision and here's how it's all gone bad and here's what was went wrong to begin with Dark Souls you you know we, we talked about the, the different age uh, Fallout it's it's just full on full in depth immersion and you're really learning a story that way but in Alien Isolation. It's a survival horror science fiction game. And that is, I feel like 
it's worth commenting on the fact that the atmosphere of it, obviously, it, obviously those two things are linked and that, you know, we, the, that discussion kind of is kind of not, almost not even worth, worth getting into because it, it is very surface level, but the atmosphere you're it, on some level, you're not asking any questions because the answers don't matter. You're not asking like you just mentioned, you just alluded to Brendan, you're just talking about how you're in Sevastopol and you figure out very quickly what's gone wrong. Well, it almost doesn't matter because you guys, you said you figured it out in the first five minutes or first 10 minutes, you know, you know, you know, what's gone wrong and you know, you know, all the answers. So you're not, we're not looking really around for answers. You're kind of just like, Oh my God, I need to not die right now. It's the mounting cool. horror of what is actually going on. You know, what's happened and it's the mounting yeah. realization of what that implies. <laughs> yes. But I guess my, my point is, you know, you're the, 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 the drive for answers itself is not fully, I would argue the source of tension in the game. Whereas yeah. in other games, that's kind of put on you right at the outset is, Oh, okay, well I need to figure out exactly what's going on. I need to, you know, learn X, Y, Z. No, very, very early on in, in alien isolation, you are set up as being, you're trying to survive. That's it. You're trying to s sneak through the station because you're going to get hunted down and killed. Yeah. Which is cool. It's it's as simple as the being that's killing you, which is great. Yep. Any other comments? Because I like um Alien as a franchise in general. I think it's very true. And very too. even the bad ones I enjoy because um at the heart of it they're the alien in my opinion is one of the best designs for an alien ever. Um because it feels alien. When I look at it I feel weird. Mm -hmm. Like I don't We'll have to set up a movie night post pandemic so that we can yeah. so that I can watch it. I, I really um, am. Uh, it's a woeful lack on my part, mm -hmm. my basic knowledge of the medium. There's okay. a very very good alien RPG that was made um, that's similar to Forge in the Dark. Very very good. So just not a little bit off topic, but it's really good. Um, they even have a full scenario called Chariot of the Gods. Very cool. I played through it. It's very fun. Would recommend. Of course, it's called Chariot of the Gods. I was just about to say, that's so on the nose. I love it. It is. It is totally, but it's so good. Yeah. So let's uh, break away because for the first few we had, the first four, you notice they're all post-apocalyptic in some way, shape, or form. And I, when I say apocalyptic, I don't necessarily mean it has to be globally. Each one of these environments was something, and now it's worse. Um, whether you're like... In, a, in just base what you experience when you first walk through the doors of the game. Um, Dunwall is very much alive. It's almost in a transitioning state to worse, but it, when you're go, uh, going through it as an assassin, it's very much still populated, still bustling, etc. Transitionary state to worse or better, depending on the ending you get. Yeah, and it's very uh, steampunk-inspired with a bit of Nikola Tesla punk i guess i would call it in there uh that kind of alternative electricity machines that you hear people talk about as if that would have happened if nikola tesla was alive it's got a little it's got a little gas lamp fantasy to it yeah 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 it, that's that's exactly what it is gas lamp fantasy it's 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 less spark and more whale oil but it's it's got it and you kind of walk around this kind of would you say victorian england city and you're like an assassin and your whole goal is to like get revenge and it's it's very interesting how like 
everything is like shown to you and like the world is opened up to you through very strict like you're, it's kind of open world like Bioshock the worlds are bigger than the floors in Bioshock um, but there are different places you can travel to and there's a home base you can go back and forth from um, and like each level is like built specifically so there are multiple ways to approach uh, each target very intelligently because you're an assassin and every level is like here's a guy go kill him and that's like you're given this huge place to go explore and do or you can just go and kill the guy um or non-lethal him which there's options to do that as well and that's how the game differentiates between the good and bad endings if you do non-lethal or you do lethal how many people did the rats eat <laughs> yeah like when i go through there like i experience how awful these people's lives are and like there's disease everywhere. People are turning into zombies on the street. Like they're vomiting. They're like shacked up in their homes, not wanting to leave. They've basically given over to fascism because of this fear. It's very, very interesting. And then an eldritch god comes and gives you superpowers because it's a video game. Mm -hmm. Yes, eldritch god, eldritch god, eldritch god. Contractually obliged. <laughs> I I want to note that there's a very distinct visual style in dishonored where like every character is either sharp or blocky like there's yeah that's true they're not human looking but they are uh, but it's very distinct like everything feels like sharp panels have been put together or square panels have been put together depending on what you're looking it's an alternative world where humans develop to look more like political cartoons <laughs> and like right off the bat you're granted like big posters of fascist propaganda and of course the the main religion is involved so there's a lot of religious dogma and p people uh, warriors of that religion walking around alongside the guards that are supposed to be the town guards and like you you know right off the bat like who the main problem is because he killed the empress you were bodyguard so like the whole story of like what you're supposed to be doing is laid out for you uh but the rest of the game is trying to tell you what else you can do what like what's going on with the real problems with dunwall the the commoner's point of view almost i'm guessing not a lot of people have played i played a little bit of it i couldn't get into it i struggled to get into it i played so much i i sat down and played it through like an entire night in university and probably finished at about five in the morning and turned around to my bed which was conveniently three or four feet away because i was stuck in a university dorm <laughs> And tried to blink to it because that's where I was at five o'clock that morning. I was very confused that I, I'm like, it's within range. I can, I can get there. I love that game so much. I need to play the second. It's on my grand list of things to do someday when I have time. But that. Yeah, you would love the second. Yeah, that first game was so much fun. And then hey, beyond going and watching other people play it and do ridiculous stuff that I don't even remotely understand, like, the 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 environments that you put yourself in the contrasts between the the boarded up pub down on the waterfront where everything is run down and full of rats to the the parties in the opulent mansions and the the servants quarters underneath and the 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 massive labyrinthine like oh it's an absolutely beautiful game in terms of how his world is put together with calls to Bioshock again because yeah. it has red and blue bars. <laughs> I don't like I like Bioshock 
and part of this is probably I haven't actually played as much Bioshock as I would like to have compared to like I think I've played through Dishonored at least three times start to end uh, first time first time second time to get the um, pacifist run the third time just to go murder a bunch of people to for catharsis purposes but yeah I love that game so much it's uh, of the ones on this list it is hands down my favorite for uh, the the world that it builds I can't even I'm I'm gushing at this point i can't do it well, justice in descriptive words but yeah so when you watch that video having played the game what did you feel i feel like i wanted to go play dishonored is what i felt yeah you <laughs> felt like that rush of like i'm in this world again and it, it was it, for me when i watch these videos and i've played the game before which i have for all of these games hmm. um it's more like this is an interesting different way to view this world than i went through that's my first instinct it's definitely interesting because I, I I can't remember if I mentioned earlier I went and, like I clicked on the Team Fortress Two video on the on the YouTube channel and like <laughs> I definitely had a that was an interesting perspective on that game that I would not like it was definitively the game I would not have realized before how much of a, a distinct aesthetic it had but ah uh, I remember I can remember each and every point it showed in that video. I I know reasonably well from trying to you know hide up on a ceiling while someone walks past or something dumb like that. Mm-hmm. I really like that game. And mind you, it's the moment it came up. There's a part in the back of my brain that started desperately screaming, uh, like, "Shall we gather for cigars and whiskey?" In the obnoxious overseer voice, because oof. the the thing about the dishonored uh, world when you live in it is. Brendan, you mentioned something about about shading and pixelating and, and different different shapes. And Dishonored feels like it feels like when you're sitting there, you're you're half like you're in an oil painting, and then yeah. it's sort of like you, because just the the everything is so kind of lurid and stained and lived in in a way that still feels alive in a way that the other games just don't have you you see an oil painting in dishonored and you think oh this is realism in this universe yep yeah exactly yeah because because that's the way it's it's warm it's runny it's thick but it's just it's it's still alive there's still still something beating in there it's not it's not dead yet it is dripping with character yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with um, and this is going to be sort of make my sound like an inane comment, but to do with levels. And I don't mean levels as in like level design gameplays. I mean, literally physical levels like up, yeah, like, yeah. like the, 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 you can go the high, when you're crossing the bridge in Duskwall, you can go up to the very top. You can climb, you can go down to the bottom, across the pillars. And I think that the different levels, just the stratification of that game world in that way is not something I was expecting when I first played Dishonored. But when I did the first two times, I, I I saved before I did the, that bridge, before I crossed that bridge. I did different runs because I wanted to see all this. My just sort of as a little microcosm of, of my playthrough experience. Um, what is going to what's going to look like if I try to cross the roof, rooftops of this bridge versus if I go underneath it? What's this, how is going to look? And the night and day, and that to me was so cool. Um, I never actually finished the game. I don't have as much experience as, as Ridge, and I think you do. But I've I can appreciate it for what it was. I just never got into it at the time when it was is a big thing. That's all. Actually, expanding on that for a moment, because I think that's a really good point. Something that the video that you had us watch brought out to me that I hadn't put together as much before is the verticality of the different sort of districts of the city. Thank you. And I think that's the word I was looking for. Verticality. I think it's because um, 
when you're playing the game, it uh, drops you off in certain locations. Like it does not. It's not an open world game. It has open environments that you roam around, but it's very much back to the level of the pub on the front where you plan things, and then up to the party and up the street, and you go here and there and the other thing. But I hadn't realized that there was one shot where you had sort of the the rundown houses at the bottom with all the lights out and they're all soot stained and messed up, and then sort of a cliff and the nicer houses with the lights at the top, and then in some of them you could really see looming over everything else. There's the the one tower that. Uh, depending on the ending, you might wind up chasing one of the guys all the way up to. That's the the tower that looks over. I think the, if I remember correctly, the elevator, like the 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 locks elevator that you take the boat up at the very beginning uh, while the intro is playing. And I, I I remember you know you sail into that lock literally at the beginning of the game, but it, I'd never really put together how much. Um, I don't want to be like the you know there's the houses on the hill and then the houses down below, but how deeply that's embedded in the design of that world and and then even but it's interesting because that's reflected thematically in almost all of the houses along the 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 first place you come into after the sort of pub is this street that goes up towards one place and along down the side there's the whole like the the old lady who's a secret devotee of whatever and that whole area has almost always two or three floors uh, it's it's a very sort of European village style or European city style with the houses packed like seamlessly along and two or three stories on each. And it's something where in almost all the cases, the lower floors are still inhabited and used by the people who are still trying to go about their day to day. But it's also where all of the like the government oppression of people is. And then the upper floors are increasingly just empty, it, like especially in the poorer districts of it. They're just bodies i guess but it really gives you that feeling of how much um how much the place sort of the the upper end of what could have been for the lower end of that society has just been wiped out like it helps reinforce almost a a visual concept of that difference in verticality between the people who are left stuck at the absolute bottom and the people who've managed to oppress their way to the top half of things and I think that's super neat. I'm, yeah. I'm as as visual and I don't even want to say visual metaphor because it's more than that. It's how it's con- it's as like construction metaphor, as as the world as a metaphor that reinforces one of the core themes of that game. That's it's a Chef's Kiss, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'll add on to that. Like guards wear different uniforms depending on where you are. Yeah, uh, there's like there's a very clear distinction between the guards in the rich places and the guards in the poor places. Yep. Um, there's like very clear distinctions of like who they trust based on where those security checkpoints are. Yeah. Um, it's the world building is very great in this one. You go to a random location that isn't your like my quest tells me to go to these four places. I'm going to go to this fifth place that isn't marked, and you'll find like street gangs in the poor areas, or you'll find overseers in the rich areas and you'll find them talking and they'll say things and they'll do things and um all of this gives you this kind of environment of like this is a real place i am a i am just passing through it and it's even it's even got because it's got the profusion of its differences the whole way through like there's the the birthday party level you go in where you're uh infiltrating this this masked costume ball and 
even there in this massive villa of like complete opulence, you go down to the basement where the servants are, and you're gonna find rats because you're still in Dunwall. There's still a rat plague, and oh, there's you can get you can sneak in as a rat through the basement or as a as a fish because oh, I love that game so much. I, I, I want to go. I want to go play Dishonored now. I'll, I'll wait till after we're done for today, though. That's the that's the benefit of a good game environment. Oh yeah, is like how much do you want to re-experience when you come into this world? And I think I think Bioshock and Dun- like almost all of these games really do a good job of that. Um, for some people, they don't want to be immersed in, um, in Fallout Three's world more than once. That's fine, <laughs> but a lot of people want to be, and it's like. It's kind of like, how much more can I discover? Can I revisit old friends, like the attachments to the characters I've made? And old friends as in buildings I've grown attached to, or sites or areas. And I guess this is the first one we've had where it's not like things were better and now they're gone and you can't get them back. It's like things were better and it's bad, but you can maybe make a difference. Yeah, And it's very interesting how they like have to then establish oh there's people still living here (laughs) yeah not to not to because we decided not to do spoilers for bioshock infinite not to get too into it but it's shares that theme of uh part of whether or not it's inevitable that things get worse again is dependent on in part whether you choose to employ violence Mm -hmm. um though not that you have that much of a choice in bioshock um (laughs) shush yeah all right i'll shush all right. Speaking what? of speaking of massive depth of replayability, Yakuza Zero is the final game on this list, and its world building is very, very interesting because now nothing's bad. The place you're living in is a real place, and it's based actually on, based on a real place. Yes, uh, that's what I kind of mean. Like in the game, it's a like people are still living there. Thing like there's nothing bad like happening to these day-to-day lives people driving through the city doing their chores buying drinks going to theaters etc racing remote control cars yep and so the world building is happening to those people yeah yeah so the world building is done mostly through these kind of like okay we're trying to replicate a real life japanese city how do we do that and i think they nail it like people are gathering around people doing things on the street there are street performers. There are, you can go in pretty much every building. There's like a million different like ads and advertisements that are constantly lighting up this kind of downtown Tokyo feel for most of these places. Every mini game you encounter is like, oh, this this is a real world I can experience. Um, every side quest you encounter gives you more depth of character to the world around you, despite it being a little nonsensical at times. And then, like, the main quest just makes you care about this world so much so that you're like, okay, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I got to stop this. It is, a, it is a very fantastically realized world. Aside from the, perhaps, the overperfusion of three-man groups wandering around looking for a fist fight, I have to assume there aren't quite as many of those per square foot in actual Japan. But, um, uh, that's, it's... So I have you have you guys played the game? I have. I have not. No, I I know like nothing about this one. Okay. I I have not actually played it. Well, it's sort of. 
my my entire experience with it comes from uh, a couple of years ago. I had to, for various reasons, drive down to Colorado for a week. And while I was there, I was staying at my cousin's, and he was living with a couple other guys. They were sharing a house, and they had just bought Yakuza Zero. And for the better part of the entire week I was there, there was always at least three people sitting in the living room on the couch playing Yakuza Zero. And they took a collaborative approach to it. I think there was there was a lot of uh, chatting and pointing things out and dumb comments made, but that is the game. That's it's kind of a game that, despite having a story and everything, you can sit down with your friends and just enjoy playing collectively, because there's so many things to do. There's billions of little mini games. There's so many weird subplots. There's some goofy cinematics now and then, sure, but it's uh, it is a wonder of a game. I have to say, uh, and I think. It's interesting. I actually got that from it's. It's the one video that when I was watching the videos on YouTube, I scrolled down into the comments, and which you know, years of training have trained me not to do that. But part of me just decided to, and it seems like a lot of other people get got that vibe from it. But as being um, a world that it's almost neat to to play alongside other people because they can help. Like everyone sees different stuff. There are so many things to see. It's sure certain parts of the game are like it's sort of last generation in terms of its ability to render like ray tracing shaders and stuff but it doesn't matter the world is so full of things and alive and you notice new things every time you look at the same place let alone different places and having more people around to just point it out just makes it that much better of an experience yeah i think the way they build lore in this like well not lore sorry the way they build the the world and the environment is very much here are some buildings let's make them lived in let's show how people actually interact with this building it's not just going to be there people are actually going to be walking around it and doing things in it like do you did any okay you guys have i think everyone is i could say i'm safe to say everyone has played team fortress 2 at some point i actually haven't have you? Oh, okay. Uh, I know, and I know it's one of those games, but I actually haven't. <laughs> it's free, so I'd honestly recommend giving it a go, even if these days. I know I, what it's all about. Like I get the, I get the gist of it. So. What I was going to say though is, there was back in the day, back when you had billions of sort of freely hosted servers by other people with random nonsense on them. There was some fan-built map that was. Uh, oh, I think we there we are. There was a fan-made map called Cyberpunk that was just mm-hmm. a single like a single road from one end to the other with a capture point at either side and a dance club with a third capture point in the middle that was densely populated with absolute neon nonsense. It was neon signs on all sides and rooms full of stuff and this this whole court. And, and Yakuza 0 is like one of the cities in an Assassin's Creed game built like that. There's so much to catch your eye. There's so much character to everything. It's just, oh, it's crazy. It's based on real life '80s Tokyo. Uh, I think it's not Tokyo. I think it's somewhere in Osaka, wasn't it? But cities like that. It is because it's based off a very specific. uh, What was the name of the the video that we watched for it? It was. Hold on a second. Did you remove the videos from the chat? I did. Ah, do you remember what the name of the the one for Yexa was? I think it was just other places Yakuza Zero. Yeah, fair enough. Let me just check for it for a second. You guys can keep talking about it. I'm going to come back to that. So I think we've kind of gone through various stages and we've ended up from a game where it was great, but now it's awful to a game where it's it's almost real life. They're trying to replicate real life. 
And you'll see a lot of games do that, like Grand Theft Auto or Watch Dogs Legion, where they're trying to take the world and they'll just put a little fictional spin on it. But they're trying to give you a real life experience in some way, shape or form with their uh, environments being as well rendered as possible and not fictional or at least, well, like as not fictional as possible, given their uh, limitations as a developer. So what do you take from these worlds? Let's start with Colin. I'm really interested in... Well, so I already gave my, my piece about uh, wonder and imaginative uh, facilitation and like giving, like holding a little bit back. Um, I know that that's just from my background as a storyteller and working with stories and loving stories. That's where all that comes from. But um, I'm particularly interested in the conversation we had about um, just the relationship that so many of these games have with the past. How many of these worlds have to do with the past, the past that once was in many cases, right? Um, and I, I think it's interesting that the most atmospheric games that we looked at, almost all of them have some sort of, the past was great, now things are bad, this is where you start as an adventurer. I find that very, very telling. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, and, and of course we have the instances we talked about where that's not the case, right? But I just find it really interesting that that whole, the Roman myth, you know, seems to sort of the lost empire, it still seems to, to be there. And I find that really interesting. Um, especially with uh, um, our conversations on like lost empires that we were talking about, right? In Atlantis and stuff like that. So yep. um, really, really fascinating. I think there's a lot of human psychology going on there and in, in what makes us intrigued and what makes us um, immersed. Um, Let's yeah, explore and, that. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so why is it that, that we as, as human beings are so enthralled with, you know, this this world that almost was right um this this world that we um don't have currently but we we just missed it you know like oh i was born a year too late to experience this thing right like i came to rapture after the new years after the revolution and like now i just see the remnants of this this you know this destroyed place um or you know the bombs have dropped and now i'm i'm playing the game now i understand in terms of stories that's that's because that's a story incident uh, inciting incident right if you don't have the bombs dropping then it's just like i guess i'm just hanging out and doing my chores in new york or whatever right like it's not really a game like okay but now there's a nuclear wasteland now we have a story now we have a game so i get that right but again what is it with human beings and you know i showed up late to the party and this golden age is behind me very, very interesting, and I, th- I think that has to do with the Roman myth. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm open for other people to, to say, you know, collective consciousness stuff. There, no, I agree with you. I think it's a trope, very clearly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's very clear what it is. Um, it's mystery first yeah. of all, because yeah. you don't know what's going on and how it got to this point. And then on top of that, um, whenever people reminisce over a previous time or place or thing. It is unassailable by from criticism because just the lack of experience with it. Um, I'd argue with that one, but uh... like, like to the person discovering that world, right? At first, they're like, "Oh man, it was so much better." Like they, they kind of like without because it never existed. Because it never existed exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's this all ties back into our original nostalgia conversation, where it's like, "What am I actually?" remembering is that really real and it it's very clear that's what's happening like and in these games go out of their way like bioshock to show you uh or follow um to show you these worlds previously might not have been great um dark souls i think there is a point 
Oh, whoops. I think there is a point to be made, though, that um, before we completely let you get away with that one, that, well, that is true for some of these worlds, for sure, and some of the settings that we enjoy in stories. Others are definitely rooted in places that have actually existed, and to not take that into consideration is missing a bit of what works with them. Like, yeah, okay, uh, you know, Bioshock Infinite, there's never actually been a flying city with blatant, you know, uh, Confederate South themes, but the Confederate South existed, and right, that's, right. that is something where you can, sure, you can be lost in the first five minutes of all the the superficial beauty, but to some degree, I think you, you think even before things start really going south in it, you have to sort of start cluing in that, oh, this is based on that one era of history, which we already sort of know had, well, I think to call it a dark underbelly. I get what you're, get what you're saying, here. but Infinite takes place during the fall, and Bioshock takes place after. So so the, the thing is that, like, just in terms of you playing the game, the thing that you are imagining never happened. Right, you're imagining it, you're constructing it, right. right? which is super cool. But you are endowing that previous world with mystery. You're endowing that previous world with wonder. And then that is, that is a very clever facilitation on the part of the atmosphere of the game, right? Yeah. That they're saying, hey, there's this thing that, you know, wink, wink, it, it secretly never existed because we're developers and we're just telling a story. But by you thinking that in terms of how storytelling works, in terms of your immersion and so on and so forth, you're going to build this up and you're going to picture it as you know, you're going to have that Roman myth with you. And that's just so powerful. I find that so fascinating. Yeah, when you crawl through the vents in Sevastopol and you find a guy sitting in a corner with a gun on his lap with a giant hole in his face, the story is being told to you right there and then. Right, right. And, like, that's every moment in all of these games. is like, not just what's explicitly being told with you, but the world, what the world itself is telling you. The the environments, the what's building around you. Like, when I... When I see a big daddy outside repairing the infrastructure of the city of Rapture, more things start to come together for me about this world and how it works. And it's it's kind of like this this obsession with something that once was explicitly for the Bioshock games is like Ken Levine's trying to show you that at first, you're like, oh, man, this would have been a really cool idea. And then he's like, no, this is actually why you wouldn't want to be here. And Fallout 3 is like, what once was was bad, and we're going to rebuild something new. Uh, Dark Souls is maybe the thing that existed just has to end. Or maybe it's worth saving. Up to you. Dishonored is like, this has to be teared down. Yakuza's enjoy the 80s while they last. Because... You don't live in the eighties, <laughs> and and a lot of these have to do with um, choice too. There's big choice elements as well, right? Which I think mm-hmm. um, there's something to be said about. Again, why is it that so many of these games have heavy choice elements, right? You know, does that ha- have something to do with immersion? Which I say absolutely, but um, I, I just think that's you know the the correlation that we find between the examples that we ended up choosing. No coincidence. I think very interesting. Yeah, Jeremy, any thoughts? Or he's been he's been muted for a bit. I don't know if. Uh... Maybe a, a away from keyboard emergency or something. That's fine. Um, I guess to cap it off, any final thoughts, Ridge? Uh, I think honestly we covered most of what I wanted to say or get to. I I think maybe there might be something else worth exploring still a little bit in the whole idea of. But there's there. Okay, I think there's more to be said about some be it games, books, whatever are dragging you in with a fantastic premise at the beginning where. I think 
it's fair to say that at least some people will maybe see the twist where there's a dark underbelly coming because it's so directly reflective of a, a place or time that actually existed. Um, but I think that's something for a different conversation that's not immediately relevant to what tangentially relevant to what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. I think we covered I think we covered most of what I was interested in saying or getting to. So Yeah, I picked all of these games because these are probably um other than Fallout, but I th- I thought that was a relatively popular one uh, that people talk about world building in uh, because of the bombed out look of everything and how like Nuka Cola's everywhere and like there's just very clear distinctions of what like this world before was and like kind of what where it is now and like their obsessions with robotics and that nuclear energy to the point they're drinking isotopes. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It, it's very interesting. I think yeah, if we I, want to get into Bethesda world building, though, I think much as I can harp on Skyrim occasionally having some lazy elements to it, I think uh, if we had to do one of their games, I'd be interested in maybe talking about the Elder Scrolls in the future. Um, like, I, I think it would have been interesting to talk about in the context of its world because it has so much lore. Like, it's something mm-hmm. where, yeah, okay, part of it is you can read all the books in Skyrim, but don't do that. But it has like they have they have a guy hired full time to remember what is and is not about the lore of the games so they don't screw themselves like it's a it's one where they've gone a real deep dive in the world building not just about the feel of it not just about the events relevant to the current plot but that's one where they really have fleshed the world out in t- in its entirety the same way as like um it's what you get from a video game in the same way that you might get that from a book like the lord of the rings hmm. which to me stands out a little bit more it's like yeah fallout's interesting but at the end of the day it's the, the idea of post-apocalyptic america is something that's been played out a million different times and you're starting with certain basic premises even if fallout does bend them a little bit to make this sort of alternative 50s but the elder scrolls is interesting just because of the depth to which they've gone to create this whole other world where things are not necessarily as you would expect them to be in a generic fantasy world when you actually scratch the surface of it. And I think that how they choose to communicate that or not communicate it as you play the games is something that would be interesting and worthy of discussion. Uh, we, will. We'll, we will be talking about all this. At some point. I, got, um, I got one other thing I just wanted to point out, just, just when it came up. Um, I noticed that there's a lot of punk happening in, in these uh, worlds as well, which I think you know something to do with um, bringing in what is familiar and then also immersing with something that is creative and, and wonder filled. Um, right. I think the uh, immersion and, um, atmospheric play and interest, um, you know, when you have biopunk or diesel punk or, you know, all the punks that we talked about in these, in these games, um, again, I don't think a coincidence. I think it's really interesting that a lot of these games have a punk element to them. And we will be talking about what those punks are. Yeah. Retro futurism podcasts. Well, that's so. That's actually an interesting one. That's something that maybe as a little teaser for next episode, I guess. I think it's interesting that people use the suffix "punk" so liberally for that. When I think that actually detracts from a little bit of what it was initially intended to mean in description of those aesthetics. But that's something we can get a bit, we can get to uh, next, sure, next yeah. episode. I have a lot of similar it's thoughts. Yeah, it's why I, it's why I use gas lamp fantasy instead of. Uh, instead of steampunk as the broad descriptor for some things. All right. That'll conclude our episode. All right. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for Retro Futurism in episode five. I'm your host, Andrew Ryan. Catch you next time.